Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the 343 Podcast, where we tirelessly work to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. This episode touches on the evergreen topic of winning versus development. Here again, we find ourselves having to work upstream against the misguided currents of mainstream American soccer media and culture. In the States, the narrative being pushed is that winning at the youth levels doesn't matter. So much so that clubs, teams, coaches, anyone really that ascribes a bit too much importance to winning is actually harming player development. Well, folks, this hard line that's been and continues to be pushed is mostly nonsense. If the context is competitive youth soccer, the opposite is actually more true. What do I mean by that? I mean that this culture of winning doesn't matter is actually what's harming player development. This culture of everyone gets a trophy, everyone gets a passing grade, everyone deserves equal playing time, so on and so forth, is where the harm lies. Does winning matter in development? You bet your ass it does. But per usual, the key here is recognizing that this too is an optimization problem. Unfortunately, too many will recoil with standard objections like, Gary, check out this article where world-class player X and or coach Y and or club Z is quoted saying, winning doesn't matter at the youth level. We at club X don't care about wins and losses, etc., etc." Or how about, Gary, did it really matter that Christian Pulisic won or didn't win some U14 tournament back in the day? Cool, guys. I totally get it. I've heard it all before, and I see how this makes sense to so many. But let's start addressing why this is far too lacking in context, that it ends up leading so many well-intentioned people astray. And unfortunately, the sad part is the ones who end up being harmed the most are the very kids that presumably you are trying to look after. Now, yes, there are times where winning should be derided and is in fact harming the development of the individual players, teams, coaches, all the way up to and including the country's national team itself. For example, if you win, but win by playing like crap, that's not a good sign. Youth or pro, in both arenas, how did the team win? That right there is the question that must be looked at. In any case, Joey Cassio joins me once again to have an off-the-cuff chat on this very topic. I hope you enjoy, but first, please take a moment while I share a few ads that can greatly enhance your capabilities as a coach or your capabilities as a parent of a player looking to do what is best for them. Here we go. And now, a quick few second mentions on what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support the podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you've got to check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. The premium program in particular gives you full access to watch and listen to players, teams, and coaches in the real-life training environment. Now, what I mean by that is that the film and audio are not staged or scripted, such as what you would get at a conference or a typical course or video online. No, no, no. You get to be a legit fly on the wall and steady Brian 
who basically helped pioneer a seismic shift in American soccer on how to develop youth players at every level. Among the many now professional players who were under his direct tutelage across many teams, one team in particular, which he started at U10 and led through U19, really stands out. Over a handful of players on that team became professionals. It's incredible work. And the actual training of that team and those players is what you get to use to catapult your coaching. Okay, second, let's say you're not a coach but you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path. The solution for you guys is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either here in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, the solutions for coaches, for parents, and for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. Every time we sit down, you always ask me, hey, you want to record? Like, you got any other topics you want to talk about? And I always tell you that it's always the things that are on my mind every day, working in the trenches of youth uh, American soccer. So I guess it sort of builds off of the last one that we did in a way where we talked about whether the coach should focus on the team or the individual. And that kind of leads into the idea of winning versus development, which you've published an article about before. So I thought that that would be a good topic for us to discuss. Got it. Winning versus development. That is the gift that keeps on giving. That topic will never end. Again, I think it's because the parents are the customers and then the clubs have to appease the parents. And then the parents, to their credit, try to educate themselves as much as possible as to what is best for their kid. And so how do they get educated? Well, mostly from online resources. And what does that mean? That means that they're reading articles from traditional media reporters, or they might be reading things that are published in audio, video, or, or in copy from coaches that are also quote unquote in the trenches. And there seems to be this overarching theme amongst those three parties that development is all about the individual. And that implies that winning doesn't really matter. But long story short, they try to demonize winning. They try to say that winning is one of the biggest devils that opposes individual player development. Now, I'll cut the chase and say I completely disagree with that. And we can get into the weeds as to why. But anyways, kick us off, dude. Well, it's interesting, Gary, because I think that comes from the media aspect, like news media, yeah? Soccer news media. And I think in recent times now, the social media aspect of things has also played a role. And you don't have to sit there and read an article. You can just scroll through your Instagram feed or your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed. And, you know, coaches and clubs, they're smart. They know what they're doing. And so... When they share things on those social media platforms, they make it all about the success that they're having and rightfully so as they should. And so I think that that has sort of created an idea 
of like, if parents aren't deep diving a little bit further, doing further research, getting idea of what a winning environment should look like, a development environment should look like so that they're well-versed in that. And then they can go and watch the training sessions and the games and then come to a analysis of what they're seeing and then judge themselves. If they're not doing that, then I think maybe the route some go is just viewing the social media part. And then that leads them down a, a road of just, oh, winning is a measure of good development. So that's kind of the opposite. And I think that there's that going on too. And I think in recent years, I've seen it shift heavily in that direction, which is fine. You and I both agree that winning is a big part of it. You know, every time you step on the field, the team should be trying to win. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the development part is happening in, in a quality way. Yeah. Okay. Let's unpack that a little bit. I guess it depends where a family finds themselves at any moment in time. So for instance, if a family find themselves on a winning team, like basically they are the dominant team of the age group or one of the top two or the top three, and their kid plays a lot and is one of the protagonists on that team, then they most likely will be thinking to themselves that development is happening because they're enjoying themselves, obviously, and their kid is an important piece of that team's puzzle. So all of these articles and things that are shared out there that winning is not a good thing for development go out the window for them. But then you can look at the other end of the spectrum where maybe a team is maybe not winning as much as that first example. And the coach is trying to get to the level of those top three teams, for instance. And so maybe the coach in the perspective of the eyes of a parent whose kid does not play very much, isn't affording equal playing time or distributing playing time in an egalitarian manner. And so then that parent's perspective is like, oh, it's all about winning and not development here. And so they will definitely latch on to those articles and everything saying that winning is kind of the culprit in all of this stuff. So it's quite interesting to think of the relative aspect of what people perceive to be the truth. And as always, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. My personal perspective, and then I'll shut up for a second, is I think that winning is an important ingredient to proper player development for a whole host of reasons. We can jump into the mentality aspect of things, okay, and how that helps the mentality of the player to to want to be a winner. and it kind of goes against the whole notion of everybody gets a trophy sort of mentality. No, everybody does not get a trophy and you should not be rewarding last place teams or things of that nature. And then the other component is from the coaching perspective. The reality is that if you have a winning team, that gives you the political capital as a coach to continue working in somewhat relative peace. And then that enables the coach to continue the development process of both the team and his players without having to do or expend so much time, energy, and effort in managing the parents and educating the parents and maybe having a DOC or the club breathing down your neck because maybe parents are complaining that your team isn't winning and the parents correlating that the team isn't winning because the coach isn't any good. You know, so all of those things and more lead us down this path of winning, being a very important ingredient for the development of the player. 
A hundred percent. And I think, like you said, it depends where the family finds itself at any given point in the process. And I think the same goes for the club and the same goes for the coaches. And so if we were to use the example of a coach first getting a group of players, right? And the coach comes in and has this sort of identity that they want to implement with the players. And of course, this takes time. And in the beginning, hey, it might be an absolute disaster as you try to teach the players on how to play this way that you want them to play. And you might lose. And in that situation, coaches usually come under, under pressure because the results aren't there. What's going on? Maybe from the parents and then the parents in the club, the club back to the coach. What's going on? And I think this is where we have that issue of, yeah, winning is the ultimate goal. We want to win every time we get on the field. but hey, what does the process look like? And are we able to analyze the process in short-term, medium-term, long-term to know without, regardless of the results, to know if it's a good situation for my kid, my player? I think that's where it gets really difficult, especially here in America. I think coaches come in with good intentions a lot of the time. And because of this pressure, they compromise. They compromise on certain things and it starts to go in that direction where they maybe forfeit some of the vision that they had developmentally for the team. And they just say, whatever it takes to win, whatever we have to do to win. And they sacrifice that part of it. Got it. Let's build off of that long-term outlook that you kind of just said, because it seems to me, from my experience in youth soccer here in the country as well, that there's too much judgment happening on the sidelines based off of just one game or two games or one tournament and not enough of a long-term outlook like, okay, let's wait and see what it looks like six months from now or a year from now or 18 months from now or two years from now, because I think that is when you will be able to appropriately reflect back and see where did we start and where are we now? and see if there was progression, if there was no progression, or if there was regression. And if more people, if we can educate or help out more people have that sort of outlook, then irrespective of what the win-loss column looks like at any moment in time, it could afford the coach and the club a little bit more breathing room to do the work that needs to be done. You see, it sounds like I'm putting a lot of the blame on the parents here. But the reality is that that is where the pressure ultimately comes from. At least in my experience, the players on the team, if we're, especially if we're talking youth players, whether they be 10, 15, 18 years old, for the most part, they usually don't have an issue with what's going on in the team. I mean, granted, the coach has to be likable and all those sorts of things. But if the coach has a good relationship with all the players, and the players don't m really mind if you know, they go 500 on the season or if they have a losing season or if they have a winning season. Sure, there's different emotional components there, but they usually don't mind. In my experience, it does ultimately seem like the parents kind of inject themselves into the mix and cause much of the friction. And I understand it. I get it, right? We put ourselves in their shoes, Joey. They might be paying 1000 1500 $2,500, $3,500, $5,000 a seat. Who knows what the numbers look like? And they want to have some sort of signal that they're getting their money's worth. Unfortunately, the win-loss column is a signal that is a fact and verifiable. And development is not such a fact. 
that is verifiable. You can't measure development very well. No, I think that that's a good point, Gary, that the pay to play model, because families have to pay a good amount of money for their player to, to participate in this ecosystem that, yeah, I'd say the biggest signal because it's something that is documented online, on websites, the record of the team, the standings of the league, statistics, goals, assists. That's more of the individual player. That is stuff that I think is more in the face of everybody participating in the ecosystem where the development process is more of having an eye for what is taking place. And I think that comes with experience and reading, studying, watching games yourself to have a good idea of what the standard of global soccer looks like. And then you're able to better analyze that, that part of it. So I think that was a good point, man. The financial piece of it all plays a big part. And of course, there's so many different layers to the process of each and every team. You know, are you playing down in level? Are you playing at your level? Are you playing up a level? What does that look like? Are the intentions good behind playing down or playing at their own level or playing up in level? Does that serve a good purpose for the team and the individual player? I think those sorts of things play a big role too in the process of, of the team developing as individuals and as a whole. Yeah, it's really weird. Like if you play up, maybe your team is dominant at their age appropriate level and then you play up an age group and then you start getting smacked uh, left and right. It's quite interesting. That might generate tension uh, on the parent front. Oh, why are we doing this? We're just getting smacked across the field every weekend by playing up. I guess ultimately it comes down to parent education. And I mean, we're not paid to do that. I, coaches aren't really paid to do that, but you're kind of stuck in this situation where you have to kind of educate them. And, and you don't know if you're going to be successful in educating them, that you're trying to do this for the benefit of the individual players development. And so isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you are paying for? If that's what you want, well, we're doing it by challenging them and letting them have these experiences and trying to push them to the edge. But when you complain, it seems like that deep down probably isn't what you're looking for or what you want, or maybe you can't recognize it. What you more want is to win games. So actually you parents are the ones who want to win soccer games more than anybody else. And so, okay, if that's the case, then let's just play lower level teams and enter low level tournaments and we'll be the dominant one and win all the time. And Stevie, who is your son, will score more goals. And Jackson, who is the goalkeeper, won't get scored on. And Everybody can leave home happy and everybody can talk to their neighbors and family friends that, oh, Stevie scored three goals this weekend. Oh, Jackson hasn't been scored on in seven games. Like I've got phenom kids here. So which one is it? Is that what you want? And I'm speaking to the parents or do you want development? Okay. Now there is value playing teams that are beneath you. There is value. I've spoken to this at length in the past. The value is. Now, all of a sudden, you get to, one, build confidence. The individual players build confidence. The coach gets to really see his style of play and the team training that he's been doing, whether it's coming to fruition or not, and where the issues reside. 
and you can iterate and hone in and get better week over week over week and converge on the style of play and your players will be able to successfully execute it versus lower level opponents. And all of that is good developmentally, you see? So there is value in that, but there's also value in getting your ass smoked. And it's just such Joey that the education of the parents is the missing key feature here. We're trying to solve it. You know that very well in the things that we're developing over here, but it's a difficult problem. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Do you, because you sure. mentioned the, the standings and I might end up pushing back on you with, uh, or challenging you with a lot of your answers. Are you in favor of eliminating tables and win-loss websites and all that sort of stuff? Because this has been something that's been out there in the online world. Oh, we shouldn't even keep score. We shouldn't even have tables until maybe they're 14 years old, all that sort of stuff. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? I'm absolutely for having it all out there, man, publicly, the standings, the scores, a hundred percent, because you and I have talked about this. We both sort of grew up in the co-soccer league where it was promotion and relegation in the league. And it was the premier level was an absolute war zone every single game. And so the, the, the competition part of it, the standings, everybody knowing like, hey, this team's in first, second, this team's down at the bottom, but they're playing the first place team this weekend. Statistics, who's scoring the goals, the assists. I'm all for that, but I think it has to be evaluated in context and it has to be related to what's happening. What are you seeing on the field as this team is reaching those results or their place in the standings? What does it look like? How are they winning? How are they going about scoring their goals? I think that that matters just as much as the, the standings and all that. Yeah, but somebody might say, well, Joey, okay, I get it. But what if, what if we're talking about U10? Should we be doing this at U10? I mean, I'm good with it. <laughs> it doesn't bother me, but I know you. I'm, I'm totally good with it too. At the end of the day, this is a game. And there is a winner at the game and there is a loser at the game. And I don't see much of an issue with having a winner and a loser at the end of a match. And this is just part of life. You can always look at it from the angle of teaching life lessons also. Hey, son. Hey, daughter. We lost. Okay. That's fine. Are we interested in talking about why we maybe lost and maybe learn some lessons that we can apply to the next match so that maybe we get a little bit better? I think that these are valuable talking points instead of saying everybody's equal. It doesn't matter if the other team scores more goals than you. None of that matters. We all get a trophy. I just don't think that accurately reflects sport, accurately reflects a game of any sort. And I don't think it accurately reflects life. And I think we're teaching bad life lessons if we go down that path. This is a very touchy subject. I'm sure there's all kinds of objections to what I just said. And of course, we're not going to spend three hours diving into this philosophical debate here about that. But so bottom line, you're cool. Let's keep score. I mean, the kids keep score no matter what. Anyways, you can, you can eliminate the scoring tables or whatever. The 10 year old knows whether they got wronged or they didn't get wronged. hundred percent, man. There is value in the concept of competition, even at the youngest of ages. And it's fine that everybody understands whether they win or they lose in that competition. 
as long as the approach to whatever the result was is a way of like, okay, hey, this is what happened. We need to learn from it. Even if we win, if we won in a shitty way, well, hey, yeah, we won the game, but we didn't play in the way that we've been working on in training. So we need to continue to work on that to have consistent results long-term. Just to be yeah. clear, when you're talking like this and when I'm talking like this, I think we both have our competitive club soccer hat on, but there's this whole other world of recreational soccer. Hey, I just want to get my kid into a fun outdoor activity and have some fun, kick the ball outside, get some sun, have a family outing, go to a pizza party afterwards. There's all of that, which is a hundred percent cool and awesome. And I'm glad that exists. And, you know, in that world, if you want to eliminate tables, if you want to eliminate scorekeeping, if you want, I would be okay with that. You yeah. see, I think what we're talking about is, okay, if we're taking the sport a little bit more seriously than just a pure recreational activity, and we're treating it as a competitive enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I wrote down a couple notes here. I'm going to probe you with. Okay. One thing that is repeatedly online, and I'm sure people hearing us right now, it might've crossed their minds. Joey Gary, you know, when a player is 16, 17, 19, 23 years old, did it really matter that he won a U13 trophy? So that, that's the other angle that they threw out. Hey, so see Gary, how ridiculous is it when you put it in that context, that winning matters? Uh, clearly, Gary, winning does not matter because does it really matter that Christian Pulisic won a U13 trophy back in the States? How would you answer that? I have my answer. How would you address that? See, the thing is, is in the process of winning that U13 trophy, what lessons were learned from the concept of competition? So it's very difficult to measure and quantify, but I'm sure as kids go through the process of preparing to win whatever it is, a, a competition of some sort, there are valuable, valuable lessons that stick with that human being beyond, way beyond potentially winning that U13 trophy. So it's super it. valuable. No, that's a good response. I agree with that. I'm going to add to that also and say, well, listen, a U13 player right now, if they're on a badass team that is the winning team that everybody knows about, that everybody comes to watch, the scouts come to watch. Those U13 players, because they are on a winning team, are being elevated through the platform that is that U13 team. And the probability of them being identified or being put on a virtuous cycle, a virtuous development cycle moving forward into U14 and 15 and 16 and so on and so forth, that helps their entire trajectory versus putting a player that might be good enough to one day become something, I don't know, significant within the sport. If they're on a losing team or a mediocre team, the probability of them being spotted or getting on this virtuous cycle in an upward path is diminished. So if we go back to didn't matter whether Christian or Weston McKinney or Landon Donovan or any of these players, didn't matter that their U14, U13 team won all this stuff and was state champion and all that stuff. Hmm. Well, maybe, maybe it, it actually did matter. Maybe their trajectory as a player would not be what it is. 
not to mention, I think what you were kind of touching on the psychological aspect of it all, the confidence building, because when you like what you do, when you're good at what you do and, and in a team sport, like that means winning, right? That means you're kind of enjoying yourself a lot if you're winning. And if you enjoy yourself, the probability that you're, you're going to want to continue doing it increases. And if you want to continue doing it, you probably want to continue getting better and better and better because you just love it. You, you want to spend more time with the ball. You want to spend more time going to team training or the tournaments. You'll enjoy it. And so, again, if you ask me, oh, did it matter whether Dempsey won a U13 title? Mm, maybe it did. Maybe it did quite a lot. So yeah, I think we need to be a little bit careful with just, I don't know, I don't want to insult anybody, but some of these talking points are quite superficial and they're not really well thought through. hundred percent. Here, Gary, here's another one. You, re you ready for another one? Go for it. Let's go with what you got. Yeah. Here's another one. You'll hear this a lot. Well, Joey, I mean, have you not been reading what happens overseas? I mean, look at this interview with this Barca coach or look at this interview with this, uh, Ajax coach or Bayern Munich coach or whatever. these guys, these academy coaches or these professional coaches or these ex-pro players at these world-renowned clubs and academy, look, here's a quote for you. Winning doesn't matter at the young ages or at the youth level. How would you respond to that, Joey? I mean, I don't have very much experience overseas, but I have heard that that maybe goes on a little bit more at the younger ages where they talk like that. But yeah, going back to what we've already said, Gary, I guess it depends. What is the communication with the players over there on a daily basis? You know, what is the culture like over there? Is it this soft, you know, non-competitive culture, which I seriously doubt that it is, or is there a daily competitive culture within the club and within the team that the players are experiencing on a daily basis? Where maybe here we don't have what they have to that extent where the daily environment is that competitive for places where you always feel pressure where a kid is going to come in that day and he could take your spa. Maybe we don't have that. So we have to go the outlet of, yeah, hey, winning games, winning competitions here sort of serves that purpose for the players so that they understand the competition concept here in our culture. Brilliant. I love it. Which kind of boils down to, if you'll allow me, that mm -hmm. even if they say that winning at the youth levels doesn't matter over there, that does not eliminate competition from the youth players over there. They are in a fierce, competitive environment. And while their teams may not be winning teams and their club overall doesn't care that they are winning youth titles or whatever, the club. And again, because of promotion relegation, right? They care about developing players for their first team. And so all of the youth players in their academies are under immense pressure to demonstrate that they are an important asset to the club and that they should stay at the club being asked to continue in the academy versus being replaced by somebody else that they scout out, out in the streets. So. While the team might uh, winning might not be emphasized as much, that does not detract from this intense competitive environment that exists there. And here we get it through team winning, 
that intense competitive environment because here, since we don't have promotion relegation at the pro level, and that means youth soccer clubs here are, well, youth soccer clubs without a first team to compete in the pyramid, which means they aren't trying to develop individual players for their first team because they don't have one here. So how do you develop a competitive environment to develop players? Well, it's expressed through the team actions. I think that's kind of like what you were angling at, but I have other answers. If you don't mind me, continue to ramble. No, go for it. And then after I have something to add on as well. No, add, add, because I wrote down notes here. So what else I'd like to say? No. So one of the things that I've personally sort of felt like better creates a more competitive environment, not just in the team, but sort of you start to make like a mini club is I've always pushed players up in age. Like if a player in one of the teams is excelling at their own age, I'll recommend to them. And I won't just do it once or twice. Like I'll keep persistently bugging the player in the family. Like, Hey, you should train with the older team. Come and train with the older team. And they come out, they train with the older team. And at first it's usually an absolute disaster because it's faster. The kids are bigger, stronger than them. They struggle with it. And the kids talk shit a little bit like, Hey, little Johnny, like, come on, man, let's go. You're slowing down the session or whatever. And, but over time, you give them the time to adapt to that. And yeah, because of that competition and then adapting to that level of competition, they've now taken a big step in, in their development. Yeah, we, we can't match here what they have overseas where it's that daily fierce environment just within an age group. And I know that they push players up in age as well. They do sort of the same thing. But I think that that's a tool here that we can use to at least sort of mimic a little bit, at least, that culture over there. Yeah. So in some respect, it's kind of like an apples and oranges comparison when people say, well, look at this interview. Ruth Gulit over there in Holland said, oh, we don't care about our youth teams winning or not. Well, don't just take that and implement it here in this environment. They're living in a completely different environment. By the way, so my other two notes that I wrote down, one is, it's also not true many times because the way you're interpreting the quote is incorrect. Okay. You're interpreting it through the lens that you have from your experiences here in the States. You think when they say, ah, when our youth teams don't win, it doesn't matter or whatever. It's not, <laughs> I've been over there, Joey. I've been over there and I've seen many youth academies. I'll just tell you a quick story from Barcelona, right? Cause I've been at the Barcelona Academy many, many times and engaged with those people many times and w watched many of their youth matches and young youth matches like U13, U2, I've seen it all, bro. If they go down one zero, or if they're not scoring and it's zero zero at halftime, or if their team isn't playing well, the coach on the sideline is going ape shit, okay? Going bananas on his team. So this whole thought that, oh, overseas academy coaches, they just sit down and shut up and let the kids play and they figure it out. That is not true, okay? It's incredibly intense on the sidelines and incredibly demanding for the objective of winning and being competitive on the field. If a youth coach over there is repeatedly losing, particularly at the big academies. Okay. I'll stick with those. Your head is on the chopping block. It just is. 
because the prestige of the club is on the line. You are making the club look bad, okay? If you have Getafe and Osasuna and Villarreal and who knows, all these lower, t- considered lower tier uh, La Liga teams or second division teams even, if they're beating up on you and you're Real Madrid or you're Barcelona, somebody's head is getting cut off. You're out. Okay. So not true what you're reading here or the way you're interpreting it is not true. I'll, I'll mention something else. It's easy for an FC Barcelona youth coach or academy director or first team coach or the president to say, ah, yeah, and La Masia or whatever their equivalent in other clubs. We don't really care about winning. It's easy to say that because almost by default, you are always winning because you have done the work and you've recruited the quote unquote, the best talent and you win, you win almost all the time. So it's very easy to say, ah, we don't really care about winning because you're fucking winning, (laughs) you know, let's see when you don't start winning, how much you care. And then uh, we already touched on this, but they are building for their first team, all of them. And so it ultimately doesn't really matter whether you're 10 and one or five and six or seven and four or whatever the record doesn't really matter. Cause if you have a jewel or two or three on your youth team that you can continue to develop, 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 and eventually become a first team player, that's their business model. It's crazy, man. It's worlds apart to what we experience here. Yeah, worlds apart, worlds apart, man. Let me read off some of these other notes, see what comes to your mind. Okay, social media has been prevalent now for however long. And you've seen a lot of coaches, particularly here in the States, but it happens overseas as well, that say winning doesn't matter and they're hardcore advocates of winning doesn't matter. I'm not going to say more than that. Tell me what goes through your mind. In my opinion, the best work here is a clear playing identity on the field and winning simultaneously. That is the best work that happens here in the States. And there is not just one without the other in both directions. There's not just, ah, I'm just developing and winning doesn't matter. I don't know. Or, ah, we just win and you can clearly see that it's chaos on the field and there's no playing style. The players aren't learning to play as a collective group in any sort of way. I think that, yeah, at the end of the day, it's not the gold standard here in America. Got it. So, yeah. So ultimately both things for you, Joey, it's both things. You kind of have to have both things worth the process. Maybe you get a, a roster that isn't very talented at first and it takes you a longer period of time to build it up and build the team up. And eventually the record will improve over time. And if that's happening, great. Then the winning is an indication of, or could possibly be an indication of good development occurring. But you always want to see both things, right? A team that, you know, wins and wins well. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's funny. Something you mentioned it, but I just want to highlight it more. Just because a team is winning or just because a coach is winning doesn't mean that there's good development happening. I don't want people to get the wrong impression at all. Because if you look at it the following way, I always like to say every year, every single year, Joey, in every single age group, in every single like region or state or however you want to partition it up, every single year, there are champions. Every single year. Does that mean that every single one of those teams are having good development and every single one of those coaches 
are excellent coaches? Absolutely not. I could have my grandmother get FC Barcelona and be a coach, the coach of FC Barcelona for one day and have FC Barcelona play against the LA Galaxy and she's going to win that match. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Does yeah. it make her a genius coach? Is she pep all of a sudden? Absolutely not. And the same thing happens at the youth level. There are countless coaches in charge of the quote unquote best teams in their clubs for a whole host of reasons, which is the subject of another podcast episode. That win, 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 baby. They win all the time. They get titles left and right, top level competitions. You can say whether it was the USSF uh, Development Academy, MLS Next, ECNL, all the freaking leagues that exist, Joey, right? You have coaches who have the best teams in their clubs and they're constantly winning and you watch their games and it is complete garbage. And you watch their training sessions and it is complete garbage. You just happen to have the talent that just goes out there and in pickup soccer style, they just run the opponent over. I'll say this, Gary. It is extremely rare in this country where you get both winning and a playing identity at a level of global excellence. Extremely rare. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> no, it's quite fascinating, man, because this reminds me of when Barcelona was having their incredible time under Pep Guardiola, Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, all, all those guys. And they kind of redefined what football was during that era. Everybody was like, holy crap, what is this? And Spain, obviously, as a consequence of that, demonstrated the same thing at the international level. And I'm sorry, yeah, he's my brother, but whatever. Here in the States, he demonstrated at the youth level as well. And so I think that triggered a wave of people, I'll just speak for the States, people in the States trying to emulate those sorts of things. Even the Federation started talking about, for the very first time ever, playing out of the back. They had never said that phrase in the history of the organization, okay? And all of a sudden, you get the faces of USSF saying, oh, you got to play out of the back. That's what we're looking for. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there were a number of teams, coaches, clubs who were attempting it and you would go to the games and then, you know, I would be recommended, oh, you need to go watch this team or that team or whatever, like they're doing amazing work. They built from the back, they possession base, all this stuff. And I'd go there and yes, they would circulate the ball among the back four or whatever. And maybe, you know, at some point go forward, but Beyond circulating the ball at the back four, when they went forward, complete chaos. There was no building whatsoever. And people had the wrong idea that, oh, no, we're possession-based and we build. So I understand it's an evolution, right? It's step by step by step. But our country got so far ahead of itself to think that we got this now. And we're seeing it now with modern times, too. You just saw what's happening over the past several weeks with the senior men's national team. All of a sudden, everybody's thinking, oh, Greg Verhalter has to abandon his system. They were always they were advocating that his system was all possession-based soccer. You know, it's all like, oh, we have our first Pep Guardiola, American Pep Guardiola here in the States. And I'm like, what, what are you guys watching? 
So, okay, Zimmerman passes it to Long and Long passes it to Yedlin. And yeah, sure, circulating back there. And then there is no buildup, you know, all the way into the final third and then some magic in the final third to finish. What are we, what are we even talking about? It's kind of like they're at the same stage as everybody who got excited seeing youth soccer games and the back four circulating the ball a little bit. Great. It's a step forward, Joey. Don't get me wrong, because before then, the back four would not even circulate the ball. Whoever got the ball in the back four would, I don't know, just improvise something and either launch it or dribble or, yeah, I don't even know. It was a disaster. So now, great, you circulate the ball in the back, along the back four, and you think that you're a possession-based team. It's, it's just not true, man. So anyways, your point, it's extremely rare to see a successful winning team exhibiting a coherent, real identity. Yep, 100%, man. And I get what you just said, Gary, goes back to the very beginning of the conversation where you said, if you are reading sort of establishment media articles about the game, what you just described is what you're getting. And then you are taking that back as your sort of view of the game and applying it to whatever space you are participating in. Yeah, it's really weird, man. It's frustrating. <laughs> you know, I'm frustrated, man. I do yep. what I can. I do what I can. We'll see. What, Furhalter gets out of the group, wins, wins you know, there's no way, but you never know, dude. Let, let's say he wins the three games in his group. <laughs> By the way, honestly, I think the United States World Cup group is the easiest group in the entire tournament. I really believe that. England is garbage, okay? Now watch, they'll get to the semifinals after I say <laughs> that, okay? It's totally possible. It's totally possible. But they suck, okay? They're terrible. Wales is shocking. Like, what is Wales? Please. And then Iran, okay. They have Mehdi Taremi, the, the Porto striker, which is a good, formidable player. But come on, man. It's Iran. It's the weakest group, Joe. So anyway, yeah. watch him win. Watch him win all three games. And I'm telling you, dude, the narrative flips again. Oh my God, this is amazing. The best hire in the history uh, <laughs> of the Federation. He polished up his system in MLS. You know, Columbus crew was amazing under him. And look what he did with the national team. We should always have a domestic coach and never a foreign coach. Like all this stuff is going to come to the table under those circumstances. Oh, and he did this with a super young team. Just imagine what's going to happen at home in 2026 when all these guys are entering their prime or in their prime now. That's the whole story, dude. And I'm going to be sitting here kind of shaking my head and, and kind of remembering our conversation about just because you win, that does not mean in and of itself that good work is being done. 100% man. And this will be controversial, but in order for us to grow and take a step forward as a soccer country and begin to catch up to the rest of the world, unfortunately, winning is not going to help our cause, the U.S. national team in the World Cup. Winning is not going to help us at all. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully people will learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Uh, we, we need a good old reality check. We kind of got a, a pretty good bitch slap by not qualifying into the World Cup last time. And I'm not going to say that's the only stimulus because it was not the only stimulus. There were other forces in play, which I won't share at this point yet. But combined with that bitch slap forced a lot of actors in our system here to change the way that they operate. 
a lot of changes were made. And sure, we got an American MLS guy at the head of the national team, but there were a lot of structural changes that occur and there was a lot of philosophical changes that occurred and there were a lot of ideas of how to operate not just the federation but mls itself that changed and all of that happens with competition so competition slaps you down you adjust so i agree with you man we need to get a good old-fashioned beat down at the world cup if we truly want to advance as a soccer nation here. I know how people are going to interpret that, but this is just the reality. And I'm sorry if you take that the wrong way. Again, a lot of it has to do with a cultural component. I've shared this before. All of my family and heritage is from Argentina. All of my friends growing up are either Mexican or Mexican-American or Uruguayan or Uruguayan-American, Colombian, Peruvian, El Salvadorian, Bolivian, and some mix of Europe as well. And if I say something like that to them, they'll be like, okay, Gary, why are you telling me this? This is obvious. Of course, of course, of course that's true. (laughs) Because in their own countries, just like in Argentina, that is how the people would be talking. They're not like, oh, support at all costs, no matter what. No. Fuck that. If you deserve to lose, if things aren't being done the way that they should be done, they root against their own country. They root against their own clubs. And well, let's be a little bit careful here. I'll put it to you this way. If say, I don't know, a France or somebody or Argentina or Brazil gets eliminated in group play, at the end of the day, the reflection from the people will be like, good, that's what they deserve. They should be eliminated from group play. They don't deserve to to advance. Fuck them. Fuck the coach. Fuck the federation. Fuck the league. All those corrupt bastards. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that they got no money for the shit that they've been pulling. That is the culture of these countries. My culture, the culture of my friends and circle that I grew up with. And maybe people are taken aback by that and think it's wrong to have that view and somehow they are more righteous because they don't have that sort of view. I don't agree with that assessment either, but okay. That is why I say what I'm saying. Yeah. If the U S gets bitch slapped, that is good for soccer in our country. Yeah. And usually when people with bad intentions are running the show and driving the program forward, Usually, I mean, unless you have just unbelievable talented players that can do the job just themselves, but usually you you don't you don't you're not able to win the World Cup. And I think in this here in this example, the U.S. Men's National Team, it is clear we are nowhere close. But this trajectory this trajectory that we're on, it only continues and it keeps going in this direction. Where yeah, it's impossible for us to win the World Cup. Something at some point has to change. And people, I think the masses are going to have to wake up to that in order for it to happen. And we need these data points along the way for that to happen. The masses to see what's really going on. Yeah. You know what you should do now? Because you said that you should get a hundred dollars, however you can, and place a bet that the United States will win the world cup just in case, (laughs) just in case like a a freak Leicester city or Greece, 2004 Euro, some freak thing happened. Freak things happen, Joey, just some freak thing happens. And then everybody will be pointing the finger. Ah, Joey, you dumbass. You said it's impossible or whatever. (laughs) 
but you won't care. You're like, I don't care. Put a hundred bucks down on this thing. I got 10 G's. <laughs> I don't know what the odds are, but I got like 10 or 15 G's or 25 G's as a result of this. So cool. <laughs> all you want. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Anything else on your mind? I don't, I don't remember that evening that we had a couple of drinks. We didn't get drunk or anything. We just had a couple, but my memory's so bad. Anything else pop up? No, I, that think, evening? no I think we, we covered what we talked about there. Yeah. So I think it was a good one tonight. Very good, Joe. Tell everybody where they can find you online because, you know, that's a great source of information is what you read on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I mostly I mostly use Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my Twitter handle is Casio underscore FG. And my Instagram handle is at Joey underscore Casio, C-A-S-C-I-O. Phenomenal, brother. Let's do it again. Yeah, thanks, Gary. I appreciate it, man. We'll do it again for sure. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.